0: Um, If you got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah 4. I'm going to read verse 6, and then I'm going to jump to Nehemiah, Nehemiah 6 and read 15 and 16. So Nehemiah 4, 6 says, So we rebuilt the walls, the wall, until all of it was solidified up to half its height. The people had a passion for the work. Look at that. Go back to that, JT. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it was solidified up to the half its height. The people had a passion for the work. Amen. Now verse six, chapter six. The wall was finished on the 25th day of the month in 52 days. When all our enemies heard it and the surrounding nations saw it, they were tremendously humbled They perceived that because of our God, this work had been accomplished. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you have your way, that God, at Evangel, you help us to get the passion to rebuild not just walls, but lives, God, and reach out in this community. We need you today, God. I need your anointing. We thank you for everything you've done. Your promises are yes and amen in Christ, and we declare that, and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. So if you look at Nehemiah 4 6, it says, The people begin to work. And it starts to describe in Nehemiah, if you're not careful, as you're reading through Nehemiah, if you go through a one year Bible or something, you might be tempted. To read through because it's going to start throwing a lot of names at you and a lot of they did this and this guy did this and they're going to be names you're not very familiar with it's not going to be like bob did this or john did this it's going to be and you're like i ah, just skip all that listen to me nehemiah chapter 3 starts to, to tell how they rebuilt the walls. And those walls, listen, the rebuilding represents our church and our life and us as the body of Christ. When you become saved, you become a member of the body of Jesus Christ. There's a plan, there's a mission. And if we're not careful, we'll do like most of them did until Nehemiah stood up and began to get burned. They just sat there and they looked at the walls and they went day by day in their daily routines and they did not get moved at all that their whole lives were being ruined. If we're not careful, we will sit in Mount of Alabama, come to this great church, hear great worship, entertain with great people, and listen, that's part of it. But we will sit on a pew and we will stay there and nothing will be passionately worked alive in our life that God has called us more to sit on a pew. That God has called us to not only just to know Him, but He cares about the people that don't know Him. That every person in here is part of the body of Christ. And he said, whether it's the ear or whether it's the eye or whether it's the mouth or whether it's the foot. You have a place and you have a purpose and that is what we have to get back and we have to get ourselves stirred again to say, God, why am I here? I've never seen God speak back and say, you're here to sit the pew. Never seen that. I've never seen somebody get fallen in love with God and not want to get after working for God. Have you? I'll tell you, if they don't have that ambition to get to know him and get to moving, they might not have ever gotten saved. Because when you get him, you get an ump, a get up and go. Amen. So look, he starts to detail how was the restoration. I want to go through really quick. I knew it was going to be a long day. It's five after 11. You're still going to get to get to lunch and have a good time. Okay, just give me this next little bit of time. Nehemiah 3.23. Nehemiah 3.23. So how does God start to move the people? It says, And then, after them, Benjamin made repairs across from their house. After them, Azariah, the son of somebody, the son of, made repairs beside his house. Now, I could have tried to say that. You wouldn't have known whether I was right or wrong. But I'm not even going to try that because you wouldn't want to try it in front of a group of people either. So, listen, I'm just playing. But look at this. Where does it start? So when they had this great need, listen, if you look across America today, there's a great need. We have made a vow as part of one of our states even that we are actually against life. We have made a vow. Our nation has risen up and said that we would rather support murder than life. This nation needs revival. It doesn't need more legislation. We sure don't need more bureaucrats. It needs believers of God stirred from God, making changes and having a voice again in their communities and reaching their neighbor. The first place you have to start to rebuild is at your house. It starts at your house. The first place you have to do, he was commissioning us today of how we should raise our kids Listen, I've spent a lot of my time lately knowing Bethany is about to be 25 weeks pregnant and one's coming, my prayer life has shifted. My prayer life is, God, let me be a godly example in front of Raleigh. Let us always show Raleigh that you're more important than sports and you're more important than pageants and you're more important than cheerleading. You're more important than anything that you're first. Don't let me give in to that temptation to try to make her popular, but let you always be her and she'll take care of the rest. Now, listen, I'm not going to lock her up in a room as much as I want to and keep her from boys. <laughs> but I want her to have a passion for his house. And I, want, I pray over, I talk to Bethany's belly almost every night. I tell Riley what she's going to be. I, I read where John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in her mother's womb. And I believe that the power of God, before he formed her, he knew her. That right. I believe he can fill Riley with the Holy Spirit And now, and ordain her. My ambition for her is not to be some big success out in the world. It's to be successful in the kingdom of God. That's what we need again. We need people that are restoring their house. I I had some, some thoughts. Start building the wall at your home and you'll find yourself rebuilding the wall of your hearts. Look at the time spent in your home. And then this is the thing that came. Does God have any time? He began to deal with me. Church, if we're going to see revival, it's not going to take Bill Say. And I believe that we're going to have a great revival. And we're praying. God God just simply ask. Look at the time you spend at your house. Where is the time for God? Do you have time for him? No, you don't understand my schedule. Don't go there with me. You don't understand my schedule. You don't understand your neighbor's schedule. I don't have time. No, no, no. You have time for what you love. That's what you have time for. Come on. So the first part, see, we're like, whoa, we're not shouting. Listen, sometimes there's got to be a cry before a shout. Weeping has to come at night before joy comes in the morning. It's time we begin to take this serious that we say, okay, so what is the time in my house? I I sat down with, with, I almost said our pastor, which he is one of our pastors, yesterday. And he said God had taken the desire even from him from watching TV. You know why God's doing that? Because he's stirring the leadership. You know what he didn't know? God spoke to me yesterday morning in prayer and said, I don't want you to watch TV for the next few weeks. Cut it out. I don't watch a lot of it, but a lot of times I might get the last hour of my night just trying to uh, unwind, cut it out. He's stirring the leadership. What are you doing with the time you have? What are you doing with the time you have? Right? Far more relationships with God are destroyed at home than in church. If we are to have revival, we must rebuild the wall that is attached at our home. We had a men's conference probably two months ago. I've never seen anything like it. It was at a friend of mine's church and one of the city councilmen was there and God got a hold of his heart. Brandon asked me the other day when we're having another one and we're talking about when we're gonna have it. He got so excited that he got saved that in the middle of the altar call the last night, he was up there just wanting to talk. He was like, I got to tell y'all what's going on in me. God is radically changing my life. And it was amazing. It wasn't disorderly. Everything was decent and in order. But as he testified, like faith rose up. I was excited. I see Brother Roy and Dave and some of you guys saying, yeah, it it was awesome. His life was changed. Well, listen, what was the theme? The theme was, is that Satan came into the garden And Satan had a conversation with Adam's wife, with Adam standing there, and Adam did not do anything about it. When God showed up in the garden, he did not say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? I gave you dominion over all these things. And he stood there, and that's what a lot of men, if we're not careful today, will let the devil crawl into our house and talk to our wives and talk to our kids, and we won't build that wall back in our own homes. We'll say, well, I'm just tired, or it's easier to do this, it's easier to do that. Listen, you are called of God to be the man of your house the priest of your house, and you are called when the enemy comes into your house, you cut his head off through prayer and fasting and the word of God. It is your responsibility, men. That's what's wrong with this nation. It's not these single moms fighting. It's not these people that are scrapping. It's the men of the house of God have become sissies. When we have a spiritual need, we go to a praying woman. Yeah, I knew it wasn't popular. I'm cool with it. Well, she'll do all of it. She'll bear all of it. When Sister Puckett was alive, for all the years that we're seeing the fruit of her prayer now, we always, we'll go to Sister Puckett. No, God's calling you to rebuild the wall in your house. You decide what you watch on your TV because you're the man. Look at Adam standing there. Yeah, just talk to her. He wanted that fruit. She didn't have to call for Adam. He said, yeah, I'm going to get what I want too. She took a bite and handed it off. He was right there. Lord, it wasn't me. It was her. I don't think God saw it that way when he showed up. We better rebuild the walls. Amen. I heard a preacher say one time, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Next, we need to rebuild the gates. And he describes around there, there's a sheep gate, a fish gate, an old gate, a valley gate, a fountain of water gate. And I'm gonna go through these real quick, so stay with me. How can you get plugged into rebuilding the church at Evangel Assembly of God? The first one's the sheep gate. That's where the sacrifices were made. If we're going to grow as a church, there must be sacrifices. See, the sheep came in through the sheep gate and they sacrificed them to God Listen, and we can say, I'm going to get to sacrifices the way you're thinking later. I'm talking about the first thing we can restore is the gate of praise. Lucas was playing it while they were coming up. This is how we fight our battles. He was playing it. We fight our battles through worship. We fight our battles through praise. I'm reading a book by Brian Johnson right now, the worship pastor at Bethel. And he talked about even as a young man, he learned that if he would begin to worship God that no demon in hell could resist or fight the move that was going on. That the devil cannot stay in the atmosphere of worship. But if we're not careful, we've let the gate go and we have the atmosphere of worry and doubt and all these things spew out of our mouth except the word of God and praise and worship. Listen, you will never get to worship God ever again in a trial once we get to heaven you ever thought about that if you're gonna bless god you better bless him down here because in heaven it's going to be free worship his presence is going to be everywhere oh it's going to be marvelous This is the only shot you get like Job and like Paul and Silas in the prison. This is your shot to worship God when the feeling's not there, when the emotion's not there. But when the trial comes, you've got to rebuild that sacrifice of worship where Job said, though he slay everything, I'm still blessing him. He's still good, even though everything tells me he's not good. Come on. on. I used to have, my great-grandmother used to say, bad things happen in threes. You ever heard that? Man, you know, that's called a self-fulfilling prophecy, by the way. You're going to find three things to be bad about. Everybody's like, it's always true. Yeah, because you're always finding three things. It's self-fulfilling prophecy. But I thought, I think our mind is always set I'm not talking about my great-grandmother, she was, let's separate, she used to say that, but she was godly, let's stay there. (laughs) She was a great woman. But I think we get that mindset where we look at all the things that are going bad and we amplify the bad, but we really don't amplify the good in the bad time. Right? We need to rebuild that gate. You say, well, I'll rebuild it. I hate to tell you, the only way you're going to rebuild it is just like them. When they decided they were going to build, listen to me. When they decided they were going to build that gate and restore the power of God. Every enemy around there got loud. He he threatened he was going to kill them. He tried to lure them in there. Listen, stop looking at the enemy and just keep worshiping. Keep focused on what matters. Listen, if you've got unsaved kids, the devil's going to tell you they're not going to make it. They're going to fall away. Listen, stop listening to that voice and start worshiping God that he said, you and your household shall be saved and begin to worship him for what he's promised and what he's going to do. Because if you're not careful, you'll let that voice get so close that it'll suck all the worship and all the praise. It'll suck everything from you. Amen. So we got to restore our worship. It's got to be next level worship. When you're going through the bad time, just keep telling yourself, this is the only time I get to praise God when I don't feel Him. This is the only time I get to bring honor to God because for eternity in heaven, it's going to be all good. Amen. All right, the next is the fish gate. We are called to be fishers of men. One of the gates that needs to be rebuilt is our personal testimony and our personal witness to be fishers of men. I spent a, long, a whole sermon, I think three weeks ago, talking about how we should be fishers of men. Whatever your career, wherever you are, your job is to be a fisher of men. Listen, it doesn't even mean going and witnessing sometimes. It simply means that as a fisher of men, the, the fish that, are, that God's brought in that are starting to get away... It might be sending an encouraging word. It might be keeping the fish still around. You ever been you ever been discouraged and somebody gave you a hopeful scripture, a hopeful word? That's what it's called to do. We're called to encourage. I told Lucas as he was playing, I told him I said, Hey, when we have altar call today, I want Barry to play the keyboard. I want you to come down here and pray. Because listen, there's a call on his life. And we're gonna fight with our brother. The devil wants to do everything he can to get him down. We're going to lay hands on him today. I felt it in my heart. Y'all know I don't do stuff like that. Man, there's a calling on him. I can't tell you the times where I was discouraged as a young man with a call on my life. And God, I would be thinking, man, I'm in this battle and nobody knows. And a a preacher would walk up to me and say, hey, come to the altar. I want to pray for you. And man, it meant so much to me. But that's not just for preachers. That's for members. Ronine, I see you over there shaking your head. I can't tell you the times in 18 years here where she'd leave me a note or she'd shoot me a text. Not knowing, I'm thankful for Ronine and what she's done and many other people in this room. We are called to restore the fish gate. We have to be about souls. I don't want this to be a heavy sermon, but I want to ask you this. How many times this week did you pray for lost souls? You might be right there, just doing amazing but if you're not careful we can get so church that we forget what it's really about let's rebuild that fish gate now this is one of my favorite gates the old gate the whole time I read Nehemiah I don't read anything about a new gate I see a whole lot of marketing strategies and I see a whole lot of uh when people found out I was going to be the pastor I got a whole lot of this new things. I even had, I even had a guy tell me, you know, your church should look more like the district office in where are we, Missouri? No, and nationally is that Mont? Missouri. Missouri. Okay. It should look more like the churches in Missouri. And I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, you know, you shouldn't have flowers, and your stage shouldn't have. It should have lights. And you gotta have some kind of wooden pallets in the back, you know. And your praise team has to have the same dance, you know, the same <laughs> swag. And they have to every song. And he told me that, and I thought, wow. So, like, we have to be somebody else, even though we're Mount Olive? That's weird. But you'd be surprised how many people are thinking there's a new gate. This whole time I'm reading this, there's no new gate. Now, are there? Is God always, the message never changes and the method always does. Don't get me wrong. But we don't have to try something new for trying something new. Well, how we're going to get people is we're going to try something new. Listen, listen to what Jeremiah said, six, Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19. Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find in the old path rest for your souls now i could keep going where they said we're not going that way what is the old path i'm talking about i'm talking about the old path of prayer how you grow a church is through prayer not gimmicks How you grow a church is not through atmosphere that has been man-made and it's a synthetic presence of God, but you grow it through prayer and you grow it through fasting and you grow it through this really deep old thing you've probably never heard of called discipleship. Where people take people under their wings in the church and they show them the way of God. That's the old path. All right, two amens, I'm going with it. I'm just reading you a scripture. I'm asking for the old ways. Listen, I don't care what this building... When we got here, we changed... Papa changed the whole look of this building. The building might change, but don't you dare think at any time, shape, or form that that's the way, because we changed the building, we're going to get a harvest from it. Hello? I'm not about, I think the house of God should be cutting edge on its looks and how it goes. I think it should be a representation of God and its finest and the spirit of excellence should be on everything we do. If you've ever been around me more than 10 minutes, you know I'm that way. But that will not work. You know what that will raise? Scripture says that will raise bastards and not sons. What does that mean? They don't have a father. What were they raised by then? If God's not their father, they were raised by atmosphere. They were raised by emotion. Listen, we want a church that God is their father. And that he, they talk to him and they're discipled in how to walk with him and, to him and how to love him. And how to love this world that's broken. That's the old path. We have to restore that old gate. There are going to be times in your life where God speaks to you and he calls you away to prayer and fasting. And actually, there's phrases that exist in the Bible that I grew up hearing. I'm not that old. That I don't hear anymore. We seek his face. Holiness. Without which no man will see the Lord. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is a separation for love's sake. God, I don't go where I used to go because if that's what I had that, it never satisfied. Now that I've got you, I don't have to make myself stay pure from the world. The more I get you, the more I get freedom. That's not legalism. He changes the way we walk and the way we talk and the way we think. Heaven comes into our hearts and our minds and our souls. How do you know you're a son and not a bastard? By the feeling you get during worship, he doesn't say that. What does Scripture say? Because you're chastised. Because he loves you, he conditions you. And I like to ask people sometimes, when's the last time God corrected you? Oh, we're in this age right now where we float around with the tulips and the penguins, and we just all like this. But we can't live it when we're when we leave the church. God is so good. And we're twirling flags as people die and go to hell. And we're doing all these weird horns and all these things in our churches that is so crazy. People are caught up in the worship. Oh, I felt the tingles. No, no, no. I don't care about the tingles. The Bible's. if the devil's here, he felt the power of God. The earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6. You can't not feel his glory. No, no, no. When's the last time he corrected you? we're dedicating a baby. You don't think James and Tanya are gonna have to say no sometimes? Why does they say no? Cause they're mad? No, no, no. Because if you put your hand on that hot eye, you will be in pain. That's the same heart that God chastises us. The word really means train. When I grew up and used to read that God chastised me, I was scared to death of God in a bad way. I remember being like 12 in church. I was like, God, I don't want you to chastise me. I don't even know what that means, but I don't want it. Then <laughs> a better translation is, is God trains you. God says, no, 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 listen. You can't talk that way. That's the way the world talks. Yes. Right. You can't, when you don't get it your way, pitch a temper tantrum. That's the way the world does. Right. Oh, am I talking to the students with Adam? No, 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 I'm talking to adults. Right. No, you you can't watch that because what you see, the scripture says, I will put no evil things in front of my eyes. Mm -hmm. Who said that? The word of God did. When's the last time you got corrected for watching the wrong thing? When's the last time you got corrected for listening to the wrong thing? When's the last time God said, now you just said your piece. Peace turn right around and go apologize. Y'all ever think I've been through that road before? (laughs) Foot and mouth disease. But look, I came at this from this way and I let other factors that have nothing to do with us. That's hard to do. If you want to go to the next level, The more you obey God in it, the less you'll have to do it because you don't want to do it. It's conditioning. You'll just say, you know what? If I just sit quiet right here, I won't have to go apologize to nobody. Amen. All right. This is one of my favorite gates. Look, if if it's you, we've got three gates left and two of them, I'm going to say, those are easy and we already know them. So stay with me. We really got two left. The valley gate. When I was thinking about the valley gate, the, va- the gate that goes to the valley, there's two, it's, it's a two-way thing. It's, it's, I couldn't get settled on either one and I think the Lord just kept showing me it's two ways. There's some people here today that are in the valley and we as the body of Christ in Mount Olive have an obligation to go get them. We should use the valley gate. Mm-hmm. Listen to me to go get them. If you believe this is a great church, which I'm telling you, I know you do, you are part of the body and you have a responsibility. Listen, I've got a staff meeting Tuesday night, my first staff meeting. I'm gonna meet with the staff and I'm gonna tell the staff, our job is not to say, well, Brother Roy and Pastor Lankford do all the visitation and our job is to come and sit. Come on. Your job as a member is not to say, I am not obligated because we know that Pastor Langford and Brother Roy do all the visitations in the hospitals and they do all this stuff. We're off the hook. No, you're on the hook. That valley gate, do you remember when you've been sick? Come on. You needed somebody to talk to you. You needed somebody to call you. One of the worst feelings ever for me and Bethany is when we hear, I see one of you in church and we hug y'all and I said, we've missed y'all and you say, oh, I've I've had surgery and I've been out for the last three weeks with that and I had no idea. It feels terrible. We have got to get together together. We have got to start going and doing and reaching out to the people that are in the valley. Maybe they haven't had surgery, but maybe they've stopped coming because they're about to walk away from God. And you don't think the devil's screaming, nobody cares? You got to tell him he's a liar. I care. I'm calling. Now to build this gate, you're not going to get any recognition. Maybe there's the problem with the valley gate. Nobody's going to know whether you did it or not. That person will know. If we're going to be the great church that God's called us to be, this valley gate is one that we have to let those that are strong bear the infirmities of the weak. I'll tell you, some of the greatest pain that's been in ministry for me is not when people attack me and lie on me. Listen, actually... It's hard to learn this, but Jesus said, if they're not lying on you and attacking you, I don't know about you. Because he said, they did it to everybody before you and me, and you're no greater than your servant. No, it's not that. It's when you keep going after somebody and they quit anyway. It's been some of the most painful years of youth ministry is just dealing with a student, going and sitting in their living room and talking to them and showing scriptures and praying with them. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's their decision. It still hurts. But I just wonder how many people have walked away and nobody even reached. Nobody even said, hey, I see you're not in your pew. See, the responsibility is on the leadership team. Yes, but when I read the Bible, the responsibility is on the believer, period. Period. Now, the second part of the valley gate is where God takes some of us on purpose. He sends us to the valley. See, I can't understand that his rod and his shepherd, they comfort me till I get to the valley. I've got to get to the valley sometimes. Jesus said he withdrew to the wilderness to pray. I read that the other day and I was like, wow. He went away from everybody we would whine, cry, complain, kick, scream, call our friend, post on Facebook, Instagram. We would be, the life is terrible. And the Bible says that Jesus withdrew to a place of loneliness so he could pray. Sometimes God tells you, instead of going to get somebody in the valley, I need you to get in a valley where you can get away from your everyday things so I can talk to you. Now, there's two ways with God I've seen. There's the furnace of affliction, or there's the easy way. It's actually in Scripture. He said, oh, I wish you would have done it the easy way, but since you didn't, I'm not letting you go. I'm going to chastise you in the furnace of affliction. And all of a sudden, a lot of us go to the valley gate when we get in trouble. Let our family start falling apart, and all of a sudden we hit that valley gate so hard, we're alone with God, and we're drawn to God, and we're fasting, and we're praying. He don't want it to be that way. He wants you in the valley gate sometimes as he draws you to be close to him. Maybe this is, it's kind of hard to explain, but I know what I'm trying to say. Sometimes, the closest times in my life, when we first came here, the Lord called me away from even dating or anything, and for six or eight months, we were here every night praying and seeking God. And my friends would be like, man, you don't even go out on the weekends anymore. There was something special going on. There, there was, God was doing something in our heart. He was drawing me to that valley. Oh, the high places are easy and enjoyable. We, we, we become fat Christians spiritually in the high places. It's the valley where we learn how to live on the lily in the valley. It's, it's the valley when everything doesn't make sense, when we really learn to trust God. Amen? All right, don't fade on me. I got one left. Nehemiah 314. But the dung gate was repaired. I read that. I thought, wow. What's the dung gate at our church? Then I thought, well, the (laughs) nursery's (laughs) one. For multiple reasons. (laughs) It's the dung gate. I, I just thought about this. You can put that down. I'm not even going to try to say those guys' names. You can go on YouTube and like click their name and it, a guy will read it to you. And I'm like, okay, I got it. And then I get in front of y'all and I try to read it. And I'm like, they're this day. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I'm, I, I'm not going there. And he, so all of a sudden he's talking about all these gates. And you read this and you're like, it's in the Bible, the dung gate. The rubbish gate, the, the waste gate. Can you imagine what that city would look like if there wasn't a place where the dung went out? Can you imagine what that place would look like if all the animals and all the human waste was compiled in that? Do you know what kind of infection would that city wouldn't last long if there was not a way to get the bat out? Now, first of all, there's an implement here is that all of us better make sure our dungate is working well and we are getting the bad out. Show me your three closest friends and I'll show you your future. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe me on that, I'll take you to lunch one day. We'll go to the Bluff Park diner and I will sit down and I will tell you of how many people I watched the wrong friend get close to them. They could be serving God and be wonderful, but they picked the wrong friend you got to get the wrong people out of your life to go to the next level. You can't let the wrong people in and say, well, I got this good stuff. So did Samson until Delilah got close. Right? Think about, listen, we talk about Samson's end. He lost his eyes. He lost his life. You think that's how God wanted him to go out? You don't think he could have killed all those men some other way? Sure he could have. He let one person come in. So now you talk about the dungate of your heart. Yeah, we got a deal there. But there's some gate in the church. There's some things that people just want to sit on pews on Sunday and don't want to do. This is a great time to talk about the dungate of nursery. Well, I don't really want to keep the nursery. Why don't, I've never heard anybody really want to. I think sometimes when i walk past there and my 77-year-old grandmother's back there, I don't want to tell you what I think. The Lord knows what I think and I'm going to leave it there. Well, I can't do it. You can do it. We got 5 million little babies. I can't get down with them. We don't need you to get down with them. We need you to hold them like this and rock them and pray over them. Pray over them. Rockham, my seventy-seven-year-old grandmother, knee replacements, sir, open-heart surgery, had a thing cleaned out in her vein. Right, she's back there keeping the kids. That's not my ministry. I know. I can look at your life and tell it's not your ministry. It's easy. Cause you always do what's easy for you, and that's why your life looks like what it looks like. Oh, we're gonna sit here. I thought y'all loved me as pastor. I got all kind of votes, people high-fiving me. Hey, I gotta stand before God one day. That dung gate is uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. I sent out a text. Friday night I said man I forgot we have to tear down all those tables and chairs and man we got to do all this work at the church and I told the guys I need you here on a Saturday I know that's terrible for 30 minutes I was amazed at the guys that showed up if you don't think I'm about perfection that light right there some of you are gonna be mad I told you is out and it makes me angry every time I look up here that we cannot get the ballast right we will have that light fixed you trust me Now some of y'all are going to be like, I noticed the light now. I didn't notice it. (laughs) It takes people to come up here. The sound system, remember when it was going bad? Let me tell you, we were praying because my sound guy that did all this is telling me, man, you're talking about thousands of dollars. But Monday night, Noah was climbing somewhere under there. I could hear his voice faintly with dirt and dust, and he found the problem. Man, it's a dung gate. Nobody wanted to do it. I'm thankful I was kind of big. I couldn't even get in there. So I was like, I'll coach, man. <laughs> These guys said, listen, it takes that. I talked about Sunday school teachers. Visiting the sick. Attending church faithfully. In parentheses, that's a job for some people running the sound system, witnessing. Listen, Ron and JT are the unsung heroes of a service. And let me tell you, I don't want to do what Ron Dye does. Because when it's good, nobody says, great job. When it's bad, everybody in here turns around and stares at him like he's done something wrong, like... (laughs) Don't they? You're guilty. Hear that squeak? It's not even anything he's doing. It's The people are doing it wrong. And everybody's like, what are you doing? (laughs) That's a dungate. (laughs) Welcoming committee. Setting up chairs and tables. Cleaning up after functions. Working with the homeless. 17, just do whatever needs to be done. I've never been as amazed in the last few years. Look, we got 15 minutes till 12. I've got three minutes and I'm out. We're going to baptize people. At 12 o'clock, you're going to be shaking hands. I've never been amazed. And I've, I, as I've eaten with other pastors, Pastor Loper took me to uh, the Bright Star this week. And he had his notepad with him. And Pastor Loper began to just say, listen, Be careful. Here's 19 things that I did wrong and that I want to instruct you on. And he, he began to pour my life. And as we talk to these guys, I'm seeing something in the church. I even heard a lady at Hillsong, as big as they are, say they're having the same problem. People want to come in and they want a microphone. People want to come in and they want a ministry. Well, I'm with you as long as you let me teach. I'm with you. As long as I get to do what my God calling is. I'm with you as long as I get to do what benefits me from the church. I'm telling you, I've seen it. There's nothing in me, not one thing that likes that. You have that spirit and me and you will be mortal enemies and I'll try to love you and pray for you. There's nothing in me like that. I don't come to church to get to preach behind this pulpit. When I came to evangel, you can ask that man. I was here to serve the community of evangel. Because I'm serving him who's found me and delivered me and saved me. I was drowning in sin and addiction. And he scooped down and picked me up. And now all I can offer is as a living sacrifice my life. I'll be with you as long as I get to do what I want to do. well, we got to preach them because if we don't, they'll leave. They'll take their tithes. Bah. That's how I feel about it. Well, as long as they get to do their thing, they'll be perfectly happy. Yeah, but what's your thing? Your thing is the dungate. The greatest among you is your servant. Oh, it's awkward in here. I like it. No, I don't come into church to get to do something. First of all, nobody's listening to you. If you can't roll up your sleeves and start doing things in the live nativity, serving cookies and smiling at people, that's the ministry. Don't show up to any functions, but then want to tell me how to live my life. Are you serious? I'm not listening to you. No, roll up your sleeves. The Baileys came in, and we had them in working the first day. They were slinging coffee and cookies and things. We had them working. That's what I'm talking about. I don't even get me started on this section. They deserve like awards, like badges. It's selfless work. It's amazing. It's how it works. You want to get promoted in the kingdom of God? It's down. It's serving. Listen, get me. Twelve men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And here's Stephen, who is my favorite person in the Bible other than Jesus. He's full of the Holy Ghost and he's full of wisdom. He should be promoted. And they said, we got a job for you. The membership is growing so much. We've heard that you serve. We're going to need you to go serve the widows. Nobody's going to even know you did it but them. And all of a sudden you read... Many miracles begin to work among the widows. He began to serve. He didn't need a platform. He knew by serving gave him a platform. And he began to serve and God began to use him and things began to happen. And the next thing you know, he gets promoted to a place where they're stoning him to death. And it says he looks up and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, every time I've read, Jesus is sitting in the right hand of the Father. But that shows me when we begin to serve our church and we begin to serve the Lord and get the servant's heart, it gets the attention of the only one that matters, and His name is Jesus Christ. He will stand for you. He will bless that ministry that He's put in your life. By the way, it's not our ministry. It's His. I hear preachers say, this is my ministry. And I think, well, then it's not going to be anything because you're a man. And you put your pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ in us and through us. Amen? Amen. Let's get that dungate. Ask the Lord, how do I help? So many of you today are not guilty. You work great. You work hard. Keep it up. You're working for an eternal reward. Every time you keep that nursery and that baby spits up on you, it's another huge stone in your crown. Nobody gives you a -a that-a-boy, but he sees it. You trust me. Amen. Told y'all it wasn't going to be that fun. Look at Nehemiah 3.5 and we'll close That's Jeremiah 3.5. Give me Nehemiah 3.5. I can read it if you don't have it. It says next to them... You got it, JT? Can you do King James? I want to finish on a strong point. I can read it. I got it. It says next to them... There we go. The Tekoites repaired... But their nobles put not their neck to the work of the Lord. Now today, as we close, you can get, see people all around you beginning to work for the Lord. And you can be one of these nobles that thinks by some reason you don't have to serve or work. Can't you see the nobles saying that? I'm not going to get dirty in that wall. People might see me. I'm telling you, it happens. You get people on staffs and you get people doing all these things in church, and they all of a sudden become nobles of the church. Well, I'm on the worship team, I don't have to call the sick. Can't you hear my lovely voice? Don't care. Won't remember it after lunch. Amen. I've been a worship pastor before. I can say all this. Well, I'm on the praise team and I get here early every Sunday. Man, that's a dungate and we appreciate it without that hard work and effort. But that does not make you nobility where you're excused from serving the same church you lead. Listen, I had a friend at a church in Birmingham. His wife joined the praise team and they pretty much got off the praise team pretty quick because they were having a meeting. They have these little cards that members can fill out every Sunday what they liked and didn't dislike. Now, that's a bad idea. Because <laughs> most people aren't going to take the time to write on a card unless they hate something. But they were going through the cards by ministry, and the praise team was going, they were in a circle talking, well, they say that we don't serve them, and they say we don't know them, and it feels like the praise team thinks they're nobility. And she spoke up, and she said, I got a question for y'all. They had a green room they go to. We're not that fancy. We don't have a green room yet. She said, so after y'all lead worship, y'all go back to the green room and y'all listen away from the crowd, the sermon. And when he calls for the altar, y'all come back up, which makes service smooth. Nothing against green rooms. She said, but when service is over, I've never seen a single person here come off that stage and go meet and talk to the members and love on the people they're leading into worship. They didn't like it. So she got off the praise team because she told the truth. Listen, there's nobody that's in a place of nobility in this church that excuses us not to relate to the people. I get so mad at myself sometimes when people shoot me a text and they start it with, I know you're busy, but I could use to talk to you. It makes me feel bad. Like I am never too busy to talk to you. I'm never too busy to minister to people. And that doesn't mean I'm not too busy sometimes, but that means I've got my priorities way out of whack if I'm too busy to minister to people. I've got my priorities wrong if I can't take time to minister to you. Now, if 13 people want to talk to me after a Sunday morning service, I might be too busy. (laughs) But you can call, you can text. I was telling Papa, it's, it's amazing to me what technology has done for the good. I can't tell you the people that sit on the pew. I don't get a chance to see to them because I'm meeting and greeting. And they send me a Facebook messenger thing and say, hey, pastor, this is my name. This is my information. I'd love to talk to you. And I get to build a relationship just like that. I love that. It lets me talk to them. It gives me a point of reference. So So we all have to get that mindset of nobility out of there. There is no nobility here. We're all servants of the Most High God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Everybody stand. I'm going to cut the last page off. Y'all know this is a problem. When I have more than one page. Make sure I didn't miss anything. I want to read this last thing. I put, listen, Evangel... Listen, evangel will build the walls. And in doing so, the walls in our own lives will be rebuilt. God has a fresh anointing coming that includes many souls. Let's not forget what this is all about. While the walls were being built and the enemy was threatened to fight Nehemiah, he said in Nehemiah four fourteen, And I looked and rose up and said unto those nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them, the enemy. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for you, brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your children. And I'll say the same thing today, Evangel. Look up and fight for your children and your wives and your family and this community. I can't tell you how many people I talk about, and they talk to us about there's a heroin problem in this area. And it makes me furious that it's in our backyard as believers. We have power over heroin. We, there's a deliverance from drugs God is way greater than any drug yeah. Amen. but if we're waiting on the few preachers you know why preachers are quitting as fast as they can because it's almost like churches are saying now you're not all, just our leader but you got to do everything in the community it will not work you have power over heroin the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You grab that person by the hand or if you don't see him and you hear about it, get on your knees and declare war on the enemy of people's souls. You have that power. If the church doesn't have a reason to exist, it doesn't have a right to exist. One of my greatest friends said that to me one day. He said, if my church, Jonathan, doesn't have a reason to exist in this community more than just coming together, we have no right to be here. It's time. It's time. And the Philistines stoved up all of the wells. And Isaac grew up watching it. And the enemy of God stuffed up all the wells. And they took it. That's normal. Until one day, Isaac's servants and Isaac got enough and they began to dig up those wells. And it said, all of a sudden, they dug a new well. They took their, sh- their shovels and they dug a new well. And it says, and fresh water flowed. That's the revival we're after. We're going to have to all get our shovels and we're gonna have to dig new wells. We're gonna have to rearrange our priority for well digging. We're gonna have to build new gates because sometimes the walls have been destroyed in areas we gotta build the walls back. I want you to pray something with me that God laid on our heart when we first got here, that every single service, you ask God that his love would be here. I'm telling you, people would say to me and pastor, What are y'all doing? We don't know. We're just praying for God's love. People are driving by the church and they're pulling in because God's telling them they'll help you in there. It wasn't us that helped. See what happens? The love of God was here. And when people came in, they felt the love they longed for, but also the love of God was touching us to make us, we reach out to those people and pull them back. We need the love of God. We need the love of God in this place. So I want you to pray it with me. I want you to pray this week, whether you're here or not, for this revival that people would come and God would draw people and fill them again with his love. God's not mad at you today. His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea. He loves you. We got to tell people that. He loves you. Well, you don't know who I am, but he does and he loves you. He's not just like a man that he says something. He actually put his money where his mouth was. He put his own son up for you. Not to watch you just grapple through addictions and sin, to be free from sin. He afflicted his own son. What a God we serve! Oh, how we love him. Don't you want to work for him?